Does anybody remember where they were on the day that Jesus saved them and wrote their names down in the Lamb's Book of Life? Amen. For some people in their uh, experience, it might not have been as time-specific as that. My wife's one of them. She remembers the general season when God became real to her. Um, <clears throat> some of us kind of remember it more as a definite day or in place where that process took its next step. I was blessed yesterday to celebrate 22 years of uh, attempting to know Jesus in varying degrees. I was in Stanton, Virginia in October of 1997. Anybody been in the, the Shenandoah Valley right there? Anybody been there in the fall? And blue skies and trees and absolutely beautiful. So I was, I was at a pastor's prayer retreat this week and we went out on a prayer walk and I was thinking to myself, man, that's so beautiful over there and it's just so wonderful just to go back to the day that we were saved and everything was new and man, I just need to jump in the car right now and drive over there and go to church with those folks. And I thought that for about a minute and then I thought, you know what? I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. As, uh, as, as much as you could look, through, look back at that moment in your life when God became real to you with rose-tinted spectacles and everything was new and you might have been young and single with no responsibilities in the world except spending the money that you made. Um, I don't want to go back because what Emily said in her testimony was that it's a mystery, isn't it? How much changes in an instant. Your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. But it's also a mystery how much doesn't change. And I don't want to go back through everything that God's brought up to the surface in me and annihilated and chiseled out. How about you? So, praise God for the beginnings and praise God for where we all are in our, our journey and that... Uh, we don't have to look back or go back. We can celebrate and be thankful, but it's onwards and upwards. What did Paul say? Uh, forgetting those things which are behind and looking to those things which are ahead of me, I press towards the mark of the call, the high call of God in Christ Jesus. And as many as are perfect would be thus minded. So we read together Psalm 139, and then we just sang uh, together in this beautiful hymn, the closing paragraph in Psalm 139. <clears throat> in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, <clears throat> the, uh, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Remember that? Yes. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Isaiah chapter 40 uh, Isaiah, the prophet, he speaks the famous words, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. 
That's quite a gospel word right there. Isaiah chapter 40 through 66. You know, it's the fifth gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Isaiah. It's some intense gospel preaching. Those last uh, 27 chapters of Isaiah. Comfort. I feel like we, we need to receive the comfort of the Holy Spirit as we fight the good fight of faith, don't we? As I read through Psalm 139 this week, um, and I'll explain how, but that's kind of what came to me, comfort, comfort to know about this God that knows me. You know, when Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted, there's a lot of different things that we can mourn in this world. We can mourn personal tragedy or loss, those kind of things. But as, as believers, going on a journey towards God, with God and towards God, I believe that one of the valid things that we mourn is that our, our own sinfulness. Yes? We mourn our own sinfulness. And the irony of that journey is that as we're transformed into the likeness of God, we're actually becoming less and less sinful and more and more consecrated to God. But the sin that's left seems bigger and bigger. Amen. At, a, at a greater rate than what has actually truly been reduced in our life. So that the net effect of that is we feel less and less godly. Amen. <laughs> that's just crazy, isn't it? That is God's self-protection mechanism so that we won't be destroyed by pride as we make him into, as he makes us into his image. God's a genius, isn't he? Like only God would do that. You look at any other department or walk of life or sphere of success. You look at the top people in that arena. And only God's people, like Paul, would say that basically being at the top in the world's eyes, I mean, the guy wrote like half of the New Testament, and we're all quoting him today, 2,000 years later, but he says, of whom I am chief. I am the foremost sinner, said probably one of the most godly men that ever walked. That could only happen in God's arena, couldn't it? So... So the flip side of that, if we, as we continue on the journey, we, come, we become more and more broken. We're mourning our sin more and more. We're going down and down and down. We feel ourselves going down and down and down, but we're going up and up and up in God because we're becoming more humble, um, more dependent upon God, less judgmental, more compassionate, more merciful. Well, the other thing is we get more comfort from God because in ourself, we have less and less comfort. So God makes up the difference. As Isaiah said, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's the promise of Jesus Christ. Bless God. So God replaces our, our human comfort in ourselves. He just destroys that, but actually replaces it with the comfort of the Spirit. And to me, as I read through Psalm 139 this week, the comfort that was coming from the truth in this psalm was greater than I have ever experienced it. 
And I want to share those thoughts with you in the hope that it would be an encouragement to you too. First of all, let me read um, Matthew Henry's uh, chapter introduction. I, I like Matthew Henry's commentary, not just because... Um, uh, not just because for, for a, lot of, a lot of it, I, it seems to be biblically sound, but because um, Henry was actually a poet, he actually wrote his commentary for fun. He, he says it. He said, the reason why I wrote this commentary is because I couldn't feel it find anything better to do with my time. So I just decided to take every single verse in the Bible and pour my heart out. In. Isn't that amazing? This is what he says about um, Psalm 139. Some of the Jewish doctors are of the opinion that this is the most excellent of all the Psalms of David. And a very pious and devout meditation it is uh, upon the doctrine of God's omniscience, right? The fact that God knows everything. Omni, everything, science, knowledge. God knows everything. Which we should, therefore, have our hearts fixed upon and filled with in singing this psalm. One, the doctrine of God's omniscience is here asserted and fully laid down. Two, it is confirmed by two arguments. First of all, that God is present everywhere, therefore he knows all. He made us, therefore he knows us. Thirdly, some inferences are drawn from this doctrine in the latter half of the psalm. First of all, that um, we may fill us with pleasing admiration of God. You see that in verses 17 and 18, how precious are their thoughts. La -di -da -di -da. Also, that as we praise God, we may have a holy dread and detestation of sin and sinners. You see that when he goes on about slaying the wicked and all that good stuff and finally talks about searching his own heart. And also that we can take a holy satisfaction in our own integrity concerning which we may appeal to God. Search me, O God, and know me. This, says Henry, is a great self-evident truth. I mean, we, we don't have to go to the Bible to talk about how God knows us, right? We, we, it's just logical, isn't it? I mean, if God made us, he knows it's all just logical, a self-evident truth. But it's really good to have the Spirit of God speak it into our spirits in the Word of God, isn't it? Even if it is self-evident truth. This great and self-evident truth, Henry says, that God knows our hearts and the hearts of all the children of men. If we did but mix faith with it and seriously consider it and apply it, would have a great influence upon our holiness and upon our comfort. It's what he says to, to summarize this. I love summaries. I'm a kind of like wood from the trees kind of a guy. So I really like summaries because I can build on summaries, you see. So that was Henry's um, kind of overview of this, of this psalm. But I just want to take some of the verses and just reflect upon a few things. Um, I, I called this sermon, It's Not What You Know, But Who Knows You? that matters, right? You've heard the worldly phrase, haven't you? It's not what you know, but who you know that makes a difference. No, let's get the, let's get the Holy Ghost to raise her out and change that a little bit. It's not what you know, but who knows you that makes a difference. Are you with me? I'm talking this morning about who knows you. 
and what he knows about you. You can forget what they have filed in the data banks of the national security, whatever it is, when it, remember they were monitoring everybody's phone calls and they passed the bill against it and all that jazz, and everybody's worrying about, hey, Siri, are you listening to this? I certainly hope so. Tell the guys over at Apple that Jesus saves, okay? Amen. All right, now they know that too. Everybody's listening to it. doesn't matter what anybody knows about us. What we're talking about today is what the God of this universe knows about each and every one of us. It's not what you know that matters. It's who knows you that really matters. Amen. And it's part of what and why we praise God and worship him because he's so great. Let's look at what it says here. Oh Lord, verse 1. Thou hast searched me and known me. Praise God. Yeah. I mentioned earlier about the day that I was... Uh, saved initially at least and one of the things that brought me into the kingdom was the fact that I knew God was speaking to me I heard God's voice not an audible voice but I knew that the God of this universe was making a proposition to me and he was basically saying Nikki I'm speaking to you you've got two choices you can either go your way for the rest of your life and suffer the consequences or you can come with me and my conclusion on, based on the fact that God was speaking to me, was that God was good. Because if he would waste the time to, to address me personally, out of 7 billion people on planet Earth, that made God really cool. Because he was interested enough to speak to me. Follow my logic there? It says the goodness of God leads to repentance. Well, here similarly in Psalm 139 verse 1, it says, Thou hast searched me. The God of the universe has searched you out. He's studied you and analyzed you left, right, backwards and forwards and up and down two or three or four times or a million times over and knows everything about you. That's pretty cool. Amen. That means that he must be interested in you. Remember it says, what is man, O God, that thou art mindful of him? <coughs> I met when I was preparing this sermon I meant to reference Job 7.17 and I totally forgot to do it and I totally forgot to look it up so I don't have the exact. Uh, somebody get me Job 7.17. I don't have the exact phrasing of that in my memory. I hope I got my reference right, don't you? <laughs> what does it say after that? That's good. That's good to start with, isn't it? That, that you would get out your magnifying glass and like, oh, cool. Let's check out Gideon. Whoa, I'm loving this. That thou should magnify him and set your heart upon him. And that thou should visit him every morning and try him every moment. Visit him every morning. Test him, probe him, see what he's made of every moment. And then what does it say after that? Um, the phrase for that in Scotland is to hawk a Huey. <laughs> God, what kind of a God are you? I can't even hawk a Huey without you staring at me. Will you give me a break? God is so interested in us. He won't even give us a little bit of privacy to clear our throat. And, you know. And that's what it has, Psalm 139, verse 1. The Lord, thou hast searched me. And known me. 
Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising and understandest my thoughts afar off. By the way, regarding verse 1, um, notice that's in past tense. When did he do this? So, somebody mentioned the year of your birth. Shout it out if you're not too embarrassed. Did he do it in 1984? Anyone else? 59, 51. Is that when God searched you and knew you? Or was it at the cross in 33 AD? Or was it more like the fact that God lives outside of time? And therefore, yeah, since before the foundation of the, like your existence in every facet of your being, as far as he's concerned, has been a fixed feature of the universe, of the eternal time and eternity. That's how long, I mean, how long is actually an irrelevant and the question is nullified by the frame of reference which it is actually asked in, you know what I mean, i.e. time. Um, God, thou hast searched me and known me, you know. And thou knowest my downsetting, my, my uprising, thou understandest my thoughts from afar off. Like, oh, like the most daily um, details of our lives, like whether you're sitting down or standing up, like how many times a day do you sit down and stand up and sit down and stand up and sit down and stand up? You don't even know, do you? God knows. That's how interested he is in each and every one of us that it's no, oh. Uh, Margaret's sitting down now. Hey, do you see that? Margaret's sitting down. And you're like, well, that's just like, that's pretty boring and irrelevant fact. I mean, who cares? Apparently, it's of interest to God. Thou knowest my down sitting in my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. You know, this degree of interest that God has in us, to the, the degree, the, the, the level of detail in which he's observing us, I don't know about you, it didn't make me nervous. I mean, that's not the application that I have of this. So you better be nervous because God's watching you, you know. You better watch out, God's watching you. That's not, that's not what comes to me. What comes to me is like, that's just like amazing. Like how much is God not only like love us, you know how sometimes you're supposed to love people and you're like, oh, I guess I'll love so-and-so, you know, because I'm supposed to love people. It's kind of like this grudging love. But then there's a love that actually comes out of like interest. Like you're really like interested in something, so it's really easy for you to love it. Do you know what I mean? Like that's how God loves us. Because it's like, he's just like, wow, this is like awesome. Like a human being, it's cool, you know. Uh, uprising, they understand my thought afar off. That's, that's amazing. I don't understand half the stuff that crosses my crazy mind. How about you? <laughs> Apparently God does. This speaks to me of, of an intimacy, of a level of interest, of, of an obsession you know, it says in Luke 12, 7, it says that he's numbered the hairs on our head. He knows more about us and understands more about us than we understand about ourselves. And, and when Jesus said that he'd numbered the hairs on our head, he said, don't fear. You shouldn't be afraid of anyone. Don't even be afraid of people who can kill the body and do nothing to your soul. Fear him who can kill the body, and after he's killed the body, can throw the soul into hell. But also, he knows the numbers of the hairs on your head. Don't be afraid. You know, you're worth more than a bunch of sparrows. Um, Thou compassest my path, and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. You s surround 
the way that I go, and you're acquainted with all my ways. <clears throat> what, what did they call all our ways? Um, quirks. You know, we're all kind of quirky, aren't we? They're like kind of crazy. Things that other people look at and say, like, that's kind of weird. Like, why do you, like, your socks never match the rest of the things that you're wearing? That doesn't make sense to me. And, well, the person's like, well, it makes perfect sense. Because it's not about the color of the socks is not the issue. It's whether the thickness of the socks and the material of the socks goes well with the thickness and the build of the shoe that I'm wearing. So they've got to match the shoe, not in color, but in build quality and material. Makes perfect sense. To the, per the person, the outside observer, is like, that's crazy. To you, it's like, this is logical. That's what you call a quirk, right? That's quirks. God knows all of our quirks, our idiosyncrasies. He knows them all. Do you ever like worry if you're like actually crazy? I do. I do. I worry if I'm just like nuts. Do you, do, you ever, do you ever worry about like, your, your level of like, efficiency in this world, like the way that you think, the way that you get stuff done, if you're actually like, what's like, the value of my life? Am I, like, is my thought process actually efficient? You, know? you wish that you were kind of thought differently or went about things differently in a more efficient and effective way? God's, I don't think God's too, he's not too worried about it. In verse 14, it says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, that my soul knowest right well. Verse 14. Hey, you better watch out if you criticize your own thought process or the crazy way that you go about things and wish that you did things more efficiently and better and more wonderfully. Because God's not about just like, oh, we're just going to make everybody as productive as possible and all your values based on how much you can get done, how fast you can do it, and how fast you can figure it out, and being really smart by the standards of the world. Apparently, God, because he would have just made us all like a bunch of robots that were like, you know, kind of like, I don't know, grandmasters at chess or something. Um, but we are God's handy work. We're criticizing God. We're finding fault with God. We're finding dissatisfaction with the way that God made us, the way that God made our minds to work with its strengths and weaknesses and its quirks and the weird ways that it does things and goes about things. Do you know what I mean? That's how God made us because he likes diversity. He just decided he'd make us a little bit different from everyone else. But it's funny how all of us have this deep-seated need to be known by someone else. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. I mean, I know people like to talk about themselves. Part of it might be pride, and that can be legitimate, but don't you think that part of it as well is that every human being has a basic inner need to be known by someone else, yeah. for someone else to know them, know all about them, and actually identify with them? Yeah. That need is fully and untouchably met in the God of this universe. Isn't that awesome? You can look at the most intimate of human relationships, which of course is you know, the husband and wife relationship, 
And you know, husbands and wives, we, we just don't, I mean, you can live with someone for 40 years and still not get them. You know what I mean? And you still don't know the inner workings of someone's mind. I mean, you know them more than anybody else on planet Earth, but you still don't fully get them. And they don't fully get themselves. But there is a God in this universe that gets us more than we get ourselves, more than our spouses get us. Isn't that amazing? Because it actually says, talking about this needs to be fully known, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, or was it 2 Corinthians 13? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly or darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and then shall, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Even as I am fully known. God fully knows us. If you sat down with God when you get to heaven, you could spend eternity just finding out about yourself. Finding out everything about yourself that you didn't know while on planet Earth and you never will know. Because you won't get to the end of actually figuring out who you are. I mean, try your best for a little while, but just trust Jesus, okay? Paul says, I don't even judge myself because he didn't have complete and full knowledge of himself, did he? I mean, judge the obvious things. If you do something wrong, then it's wrong. That's obvious. Try and change if you can. But there's a level to whereby where Paul says, I don't even judge myself. And this psalmist says, search me, O God. Hey, look, God. I, I just, I'm not sure where I'm at with this. If I'm off, you're going to have to tell me because I can't figure it out. And the more I try and figure it out, the more confusion I get into. And the more the devil gets in and gets in the melting pot. So God, honestly, I'm just leaving it in your hands. You let me know if something needs to change here because I want to change it's in your court. It's your problem. Fully known. That needs to be fully known. What a comfort it is in Psalm 139 to know there, there is this God that's so interested in us, that loves us, that's so passionate about us, that he's obsessed over us, he's searched us fully from before the earth was ever made, who knows about, more about us than we will ever know about ourselves. Doesn't that just make you want to worship God? Yeah. Doesn't that just make you want to praise God and to yeah. serve him and to love him? It does for me. Like I said, I read this this week. I was like, man, this is feeding my soul. This is really comforting me a lot. So he goes through this, this, this going to great lengths about this. Like uh, Matthew Henry says, he, he said that the psalm was about God's omniscience, and it is. It's about the fact he knows everything. But the particular application in Psalm 139, I mean, he knows everything about everything, but he knows everything about us, which is a tiny, tiny part of everything. But even the everything that he knows about us could take a long, 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 long time for him to explain to us. Praise God. And it kind of goes on a similar vein. There's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, verse 4, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. He's hedged me in. It's like that Hebrew word there is like it's like God has besieged us. Aren't you glad that God has besieged you? Yes. These words are spoken by David. Okay? David, a man after God's own heart. He was one of the chosen seed of Israel's race. Isn't that how that hymn goes? Isn't that what we are too? Of the chosen seed of Israel's race. Just like David, a man who was chosen by God, of a chosen uh, people, we too are chosen by God. And as such, he has besieged us. He has surrounded our lives with siege works from God. And he's not backing off. He's not backing, he's not pulling the siege works out. It's going to be that way until the end of our lives. Praise God. Praise God for the times 
When you're like, God, I really want to do your will, but I don't have a clue if I'm coming or going, but I really want to do your will. God's like, well, that's great. And you know what? On this occasion, I'm not even going to tell you. But don't worry. The siege works is still there. And if you want to do God's will, it's my will. It's God's will that God's will would be done, and God's will is going to get done through the sovereignty of God. I might not choose to include you in it and knowing anything about it on this occasion, but God has hedged us around with his, his siege works. He's beset us behind and before and has laid his hand upon us. Thank God for that. And it says in verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain to it. We, <clears throat> of course, God's omniscience in general, we can never get into our finite brains, but even God's knowledge of us, we can't get into our finite brains. Not only like how, how you think of like the physical miracle, right, Cheyenne? The physical miracle of another human being, another eternal spirit growing inside of your body and then coming out. It's nuts. I met like a liberal lady down in the, the Starbucks in that really fancy mall down there uh, on 86th Street or whatever. Uh, and, and I gave her my tract. I told her it was all a miracle. I said, you do, you do believe in miracles, don't you? She's like, no. I'm like, do you have any kids? She's like, yeah, I do. And you don't believe in miracles? Don't you think you're selling yourself short a little bit? You're a miracle. You came out of another human being. She's like, oh, I never thought about it like that. Even our physical being is a miracle. And I mean, doctors, we know the medical profession, they figure out some kind of cool stuff, but there's quite clearly a lot more that they don't know already in 2,000 years than what they do know. And that's just about the physical nature of our being. Well, God knows it about the physical and our human spirit. Because in verses... um, I think it's like 13 through 16, he goes into this great detail about how we're knit together in our mother's womb and all the stuff in the dark secret place woven wonderfully together and all the stuff. Our spirit, everybody's human spirit is a little bit different. It's maybe a different shape. If there was a topographical map of it, it would have different contours and ridges and rises and different colors like our human spirit of each and every one of us. You could know a universe about that. And, and then for just the physical, our, our frail tent, our earthen vessels, you can know a universe about that too, that God knows. I can't remember what verse I was on in that. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is high, I cannot attain unto it. Uh, thank God for whatever knowledge or discernment we can have in those areas. And the rest, let's just give it back to who it belongs to. Because your brain's going to hurt. You're going to just get yourself in a place of darkness and confusion if you try and figure it out beyond the degree of our capacity to know. Verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I send up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. That's kind of interesting, verse 8, isn't it? <laughs> um, Pat's not here today. Um, but this Pat Kennedy's got a wonderful, inquisitive mind. That's kind of stuff that he do. Hey, Pastor Nicky, uh, so it says, and I was like, don't ask me to answer that one. <laughs> did say in Ephesians that Jesus went to the lower earthly region, doesn't it? It says it. It says it in the, um, the Apostles' Creed that we believe that he died and went to hell. Now, I don't believe that God, um, for the most part, chooses to live there. <laughs> I mean, that place is saved for 
those who have made themselves his enemies. In fact, that's the reason why it is hell, because God's not there for the most part. Um, but if he needs to make a little trip in there to, to do a little bit more plundering or whatever, then, then so be it. And whether shall I go from the, your spirit, where shall I flee from the presence, even in the place of the dead or hell or however you want to interpret all that, you're there too. And it goes on to basically say in, in that next paragraph that there's, there's nowhere where you can escape God. God is inescapable. That's really bad news for people that don't want to walk with God and that won't want to walk with God until the last day of their lives. By the way, when it talks about God's enemies later in this psalm, there's two forms that God's enemies take. First of all, they're spirit enemies. They're the sworn enemies of God forever, and they've had full revelation of them. Curse every one of them. Hate them with a pure hatred and fight with all your might to curse them and fight against them because they're the enemies of God and the enemies of you. That's the first and foremost um, present-day application of when it talks about hating the enemies of God. Um, Those who choose not to walk with God are also the eternal enemies of God, and they will join those fallen spirits and the devil. The problem with it is, when it comes to humans, is you won't know who those people are until after they're dead. Do you get me? A man's eternal destiny is not sealed until after he dies. So we can't judge that any human being is in that camp, although some human beings will show themselves on the last day to have been in that camp, but we can never know that about someone until they're dead because everybody has until their last breath to repent and to prove that all along they were chosen by God and they were God's friends in a struggling vessel that never figured it all out until the last moment. But anyways... Um, I hope I'm not getting kind of off track here or on rabbit trails, but God's inescapable, verses 7 through 12. That's really good news because we don't want to be where God's not at. And and that would be very bad news indeed. And we want to be where he is. The good news is he's he's everywhere. There's nowhere he can go where he's not going to be. There's no trouble. There's no problem. There's no situation. There's no hardship. But sin will separate us from God. And it's a very dangerous thing but there's no geographical location or life situation that can separate us from God. Praise God. And then, as, as I said, just kind of moving through this psalm, just trying to bring this all to a conclusion. 13 through 16 talks about this super detailed description of the miracle of conception and the formation of our physical humanity and our inner spirits, um, which we do not fully understand. Uh, my substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, and I did see my substance... Yet being un- unperfect, and in thy book, all my, me- this translation says members, um, those words are not in the text, were written which, uh, which in continuous were fashioned when there were as yet none of them. Um, it's just amazing. It's a mystery. And we get to walk with this God. We get to have him as our best friend. We not, may not know everything about ourselves or how we were created, but we get to know the one who does. And it just makes us want to praise him, love him, and worship him, and serve him all the more, as it says in 17 and 18. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. Whether those thoughts come through revelation from God to our spirit, that's precious, isn't it? When God would show us anything. Or whether those thoughts are the thoughts that are written down in this book, 
How precious are thy thoughts to me, O God. I want to know them. I want to see them. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. Think of that. God's thoughts about us are more than could be, than could be numbered. Um, do you remember, Derek, you gave me this book. You read it. William Booth's Visions. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, powerful man of God, brought revival all over England that spread to half the world. He had several visions about heaven. And in one of them, he went to kind of like the front porch of heaven. And a series of heavenly creatures approached him. Um, the, the first one that came along was so brilliant and so radiant, he was utterly amazed and awestruck by the beauty of this creature. He wanted to bow down and worship it. And the creature says, no, 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 don't worship me. I'm just a created spirit. I'm an angel you know, sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. It's like, okay, I won't worship you. So then the angel went away. And then comes along this, this, this other being, which was so much more wonderful and radiant than the angel that he thought to himself, surely this must be God. And he wanted to bow down and worship this next being. And the next being says, no, 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 don't worship me. I'm only a redeemed man. A redeemed man. See, we're so well acquainted with our fallen nature. We're so well acquainted with our human limitations and the corruptions of this world. We're not that well acquainted with the glorified us that will be. The fullness of what God has poured into us as human beings will one day be revealed. That's why it's so serious to denigrate anyone or to speak badly of anyone because they are more radiant and more beautiful and more awe-inspiring because they're created by God to be a redeemed man than we can ever know. And part of the issue here when it gets into talking about his enemies in verses 19 and following is that these enemies, they're our enemies. We know that today um, they are mostly spirits. Maybe some men, some of them are just confused men that will follow God, and some of them are men that truly will finally prove themselves to be eternal enemies of God. But the seriousness of that, they hate us because they hate the God who made us, because we are his handiwork. We are his handiwork. And that's why we're, we are worth so much. That Jesus Christ alone is the only thing in one that could buy us back. That could buy us back. We're redeemed, redeemed men. So um, we need to hate them back with a holy hatred which will spur us on to praise and worship God and plunder other souls from hell. Um, and then finally in 23 and 24, um, I think I covered this already. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way. In. <clears throat> it's not always easy to, to judge ourselves, but God will tell us what we need to know about ourselves at the, at the right time. Um, I don't know. I hope that somehow the Holy Spirit would take how he was blessing my soul through this psalm this week and impart it to your heart and your spirit and encouragement 
uh, our wonderful God and that the fact that that need in each and every one of our hearts and your heart is fulfilled, the need to be known and understood, it is fulfilled in Almighty God and in his Son, Jesus Christ. Bless his holy name.